Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. In the 60s and 70s, the Minnesota Vikings had a lineman named Jim Marshall who was a fine player, enjoyed a long career in the NFL. Unfortunately for Jim Marshall, however, the play for which he's best remembered is one that I'm sure he would rather forget. On October 25th, 1964, the Vikings faced off against the San Francisco 49ers in a regular season game. On the crucial play, 49ers running back Billy Kilmer fumbled the ball mid-tackle. He lost the ball, and the football goes bouncing around. And as you know, in football, when the ball gets loose, chaos ensues, right? And everybody is scrambling to try to pick it up. Well, Marshall demonstrated awareness and quickness by scooping up the ball and running, sprinting full speed toward the end zone. The only problem is that in the confusion of the fumble and the fight for the ball, he got turned around and ran toward the wrong end zone. And instead of scoring a defensive touchdown for Minnesota, he gifted the 49ers a two-point safety. He didn't realize that he had, what he had done until a 49ers player greeted him in the end zone with a high five and said, thanks for the extra help. So that gaffe earned poor Jim a nickname that wouldn't go away, and to this day he is called Wrong Way Marshall. (laughs) NFL Films has dubbed the play the number one bad play in league history. You feel bad for the guy. Just got mixed up. He was zealous. He was exercising great speed and athleticism as he ran to the wrong end zone. It's very easy for Christians to be just like this in our lives. To spend great effort and succeed admirably at the wrong thing because we're running for the wrong end zone. In Matthew chapter 6, we continue looking at the words of Jesus on our treasures and our investments and where we place our Uh, our lives and our, our money and our time. Jesus aims in these verses to get us turned around in the right direction, to make sure that we're headed for the right end zone, if you will. So last week we looked at verses 19 through 21. Today we'll extend just down through verse 23, but I'd like to read for you verses 19 through 23. We're going to focus on Uh, the last two verses uh, out of that paragraph, but I'll begin reading in 19 just so we have a little bit of context. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp 
of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. In the context of these verses, with with 19 through 21 immediately preceding it, where he spoke of laying up treasures in heaven, it's clear that verses 22 and 23 is all about our perspective concerning material possessions and investments, what Jesus had just called treasure. What Jesus has in mind here in verses 22 and 23 is how we see our life and possessions and time, all the things that God has entrusted to us to steward for him. How do we view those things? And so it's all about the lens through which we view life and we view our money and our possessions and our time and our gifts and talents. Specifically, what Jesus is getting at in this in this verse is which kind of treasure do we regard as ultimate treasure? Which kingdom are we living for? Which end zone are we running toward? So let's break down what Jesus means in these couple of verses, and then we'll see if we can't put some handles on it. So we can take hold and bring this down into our lives. And so uh, these couple of verses, we'll, we'll just look at what they mean, what Jesus is saying. So you get this contrast between a good eye and a bad eye, right? And between light and darkness. When he says that your body would be full of light or that your body would be full of darkness, depending on how your eye is, The light and darkness in view here are essentially righteousness, that's light, or moral corruption, that's darkness. In other words, you're going to be living with the wrong ethics, the wrong values. And so light and dark here have to do with righteousness and moral corruption. And it all depends on the eye, right? Is your eye healthy or is your eye bad? In other words, the way we see the world, and material possessions in particular, either leads us toward righteousness, or it causes our souls to decay and become corrupted to where the things that we desire and the things that we value and the things that we invest in are at odds with the kingdom of God. And we find ourselves perhaps in the category of those that Jesus would correct in verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because that's what we would be doing if that's how we see the world. So he begins by saying, if your eye is good, right? If your eye is healthy, then the whole body will will be full of light. In other words, a kingdom-first perspective a view of the world and of life and of possessions that sees the kingdom of God as ultimate and eternal life as most important and most to be valued, 
that kind of perspective sets us on a path of righteousness. And we know that Jesus is concerned about righteousness because he'll say down at the end of this passage, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. That's what he's after. A kingdom first, righteousness first kind of life. So a healthy eye is the eye that is trained on the kingdom of God. It's an eye that sees and filters the world and possessions and time and talents through the grid of God's kingdom and eternal life. That's a healthy eye. If we want to run toward the right end zone, we need to have an eye toward eternity. It's all about your perspective. So to contrast that, if that's a healthy eye, the healthy eye sees this eternal perspective, sees the kingdom of God as ultimate, then a bad eye is one that sees the other kingdom, that is the earthly kingdom, even the kingdom of self that I want to build for my own life and glory. That's the kingdom that takes priority. The bad eye is the eye that sees this world, this kingdom, this experience as ultimate reality. And I'm going to invest accordingly. The word there that's translated bad is the Greek poneros, which usually means like evil. Uh, so it has something to do with, with moral corruption and things like that. In the context here where we're speaking about the eye and the health of the eye and the way we see possessions, it could be translated more like miserly or selfish. So the, the bad eye is the selfish eye. It's the eye that sees the stuff that the world has to give, and it goes, that's good. That's what I need. I want more of that. It's the greedy, selfish eye. So good eye equals the kingdom of God is first and most important. That's where my value is. That's where I want to place my treasure. So I want to build toward that kingdom. I want to invest my time and resources in things that are going to store up treasures there, just like he exhorted us in verse 21, all right? We're going to build up treasures there. The bad eye is the greedy eye, the selfish eye that sees this current world as all that there is, sees this current earthly life as the most important and ultimate reality. And if that's what I think about the world and about life, then that's where all my time and energy and money is going to go to building the kingdom and the life that I want right here. When Jesus says, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think he's essentially saying, if your only source of light, right? Because the eye, he said at the beginning, is the lamp of the body. Any light that comes into you comes from your eye. If your eye is good, if your eye is seeing clearly, then you've got, you've got light. You have this righteous perspective. But if the only source of light that you have is clouded because of this worldly, selfish perspective, if the only source of light you have is clouded with greed and selfishness, you will grope and wander in meaningless abundance. Even if you succeed, even if you acquire great wealth and fame and pleasure and status in this world, you will have run to the wrong end zone. You will have wasted your life. 
It's essentially what Jesus is saying. And I think with that, that exclamation, how great is that darkness? He's saying, what a pity. What a shame to waste your life on a kingdom that isn't going to last. On treasures that are going to get eaten by moths or stolen by thieves. What a shame. What a tragedy. Jesus essentially answers the question, what are the chief roadblocks to kingdom first giving? He doesn't state the question that way, but that's underneath this passage. What gets in the way of our generosity, of our kingdom-minded investments? What is it that keeps us from investing in the things we maybe kind of know we ought to invest in, but at the end of the day, we just think, I don't have it to give, or I'm too busy, or I've got all these other commitments that i got to do first. What gets in the way? And I think Jesus' answer here is, we've got our eye on the wrong kingdom. We're running toward the wrong end zone. That's essentially what Jesus is saying in these two verses. So right after this exhortation, don't waste your time building up treasures on this earth because they're not going to last. Instead, build up treasures in heaven, which will last forever. And your heart will follow where your treasures are. Then he says the way that you do that, or rather the way you avoid uh, the pitfalls and the, the roadblocks to that kind of kingdom first living is by getting your eye on the right kingdom. Setting your sight toward the right end zone. So that's what he is saying in these verses. And so I think there's a few ways we could kind of uh, express or, or explain this concept a little bit more to get it uh, down where we live. Because it's very, you can say, okay, kingdom of heaven is most important, kingdom of earth is not going to last. Got it. But how, what does that really mean? What does it really look like in our life? You might have seen uh, th th this analogy or this graphic of a dot and a line. I actually have uh, an image up here. Uh, uh, Bella, do you have the slides? Can you move me forward once? There we go. Okay. So uh, this, uh, this dot is this life, right? This is life, in, life on earth, life in this kingdom. All of the time that we have, all of the resources God's given to us, all the wealth we build, all the relationships we have, etc. Everything that we know and experience in this life on earth is in this dot. Just like, you know, whatever that is, six inches, I don't know. And then this line represents eternity. It represents our life in the eternal kingdom of God, which goes on and on and on and on and on. It never ends, right? The dot has a beginning and an end. I was born, I will die, right? There's a distinct time frame in that dot. I don't know exactly how long it is. None of us know exactly how long the dot will be in our lives, but it's finite. Starts, it ends. The line, it just keeps on going, right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is eternal, which is hard to get your mind around. You can sit and try to think about it. Okay, it ends then. No, it just keeps going. No, it just keeps going. No, it just keeps going. It goes on and on and on. But it doesn't take a genius to figure out which life is longer, which life is better, right? So 
the dot, if I go, I got all this time and resources and talents and whatever else, relationships that God's entrusted to me, I'm going to pour them all into making this dot as great and big and beautiful as it can possibly be. But I haven't invested in the line. So when I get to the line, what do I have? Well, all my treasure was back there. I thought I'd take it with me. John Piper said there's no uh, U-Hauls on hearses, right? Uh, Everything you own stays at the dot. So it's, it's not difficult to figure out, okay, if I got a life on earth and I've got a life in heaven and the life on earth is that long and the life in heaven just keeps going and going and going and going, it makes sense to anybody, I think, to say, yeah, I should be investing in the line and not in the dot, right? I shouldn't be just trying to get everything I can possibly get and squeeze into the dot because at the end of the dot, it's gone. It's past. You won't bring it with you. So what can we do? How can we live in this present life? How do you live in the dot in a way that values the line? How do we live in the dot in a way that prioritizes the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? And that's what these verses are all about. And so we'll see more as we unpack the next couple of passages uh, over the next two weeks. But Jesus is very concerned here about our perspective. And that image has a way of giving a little bit of perspective, doesn't it? This is life on earth. This is life in heaven. And it just keeps going and going perspective, an eternal kingdom-minded perspective makes all the difference. Which one are you living for? I think it's worth a little bit of self-reflection and evaluation here of our own lives. Which one shows up more frequently in your thinking, in your conversations, in your budgeting and financial planning, in your schedule, Is there more stuff in your life and plans and values and conversations and money relating to making the dot the best it can be or making investments in the eternal kingdom that will never end? Jim Elliott, who's well known uh, as a missionary in Ecuador who uh, was killed uh, in uh, in an effort to reach uh, the people that he was serving, he said... He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was living for the line, right? He didn't say, I shouldn't be living for gain. I'm not interested in gain. He said, the gain that I'm after is on the line. The gain that I'm after is in the eternal kingdom of God. And so he invested himself in the eternal kingdom. Indeed, he gave up his very life for it as a Christian martyr. I believe that stored up great reward for him. Treasures in heaven. When you spend your life for the glory of Christ and the expanding of his kingdom, there is reward and treasure in heaven that is being kept for you and being stored up for you. It's all about your perspective. That's what Jesus is after here today. How do you see your life? Do you have a good eye? 
that is an eye that sees the value of the eternal kingdom of God as the most important reality? Or do you have a bad eye that is, you can't see past the end of your nose. You're short-sighted. You think this is all that there is, and I've got to make this the best life I can possibly have. Christians don't live their best life now. They live their best life later. That's what the gospel is all about. We are a people of delayed gratification. I recently heard Jen Wilkins say that in a talk to parents. It's very true. We, we live for future glory, future fulfillment, future grace. And so we need to build our lives with that in mind. So here are a few signs that you might be stuck in the dot You're too limited, your view is short-sighted, your view is narrow, your perspective is this is all that there is, and i got to make this life on this dot count for everything I can get. You're stuck in the dot not thinking about eternity. Here's, Here's three potential warning signs that maybe you're stuck in the dot. Number one, stinginess. Just plain old lack of generosity. Just not giving much. I'm not, I'm stingy with what I give. I'm not looking for opportunities to serve and bless others. I'm very guarded with my time and my resources. And if anybody asks me about to give something, I get very offended. Like just plain stinginess. If we're stingy with what we give, it's probably because we've bought into the lie that the kingdoms we build for ourselves on this earth are going to last. There are millions of people every single day who believe that lie. This is all that there is. What I build here matters. This will last. And so we live as though this kingdom is eternal. When it's not, it's got to start, it's got an end. And you can't take with you what you accumulate here. So if you are stingy with what you give, it's probably because you've started to think this kingdom that I'm building for myself here on the world will last. Jesus says flat out, that ain't right. Moth and rust will destroy it. Thieves will break in and steal it. It will be forcibly removed from you. And if it's not forcibly removed from you, it will decay and end up in a junk heap somewhere. But we begin to believe the lie. This is going to last Randy Alcorn says, giving is the only antidote to materialism. Materialism is this worldview of the value of stuff and collecting things and, 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 and this greedy uh, endeavor to gain what we can. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God and not about us. It's saying, I am not the point, he is the point. He does not exist for me, I exist for him. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. Giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. It breaks the chains of mammon that would enslave me. That touches on the verses that we'll look at next week about who we're enslaved to. But giving, releasing what we have, is the only way to break ourselves out of this dot-obsessed stupor. 
Like this life, this kingdom, this earth is all that there is. I need to make this dot as good and comfortable and entertaining and wealthy or whatever that I possibly can. We got to break out of that. And maybe the only way to do that is just to stubbornly insist on giving even more than I feel like giving. More than I want to give. More than I think I can give at times. Generosity can be an antidote to sort of break that cycle. So if you are stingy with what you give, I'm not just talking about church giving. I know everybody's probably hearing me say, like, you should give more to the church. Maybe you should. If the Holy Spirit is saying that to you, you should obey him. But I'm not just talking about church giving. I'm talking about any way that you spend your resources and your time and your talent and your relationships. If you're stingy with it, if you hold it in and you're slow to find ways to bless others, might be an indication that you're stuck in the dot. A second sign that you might be stuck in the dot is debt, crippling debt. Forgive me for going here. I think it needs to be said. We usually rack up debt for ourselves because we simply cannot wait. We simply cannot wait. We want what we want when we want it, and we want it right now. And we think, well, if I can swipe this card and get what I want, then no problem, right? I have what I want, and I'll pay the repercussions for it later. And you do. <laughs> but that is, a, that is a very American way of living, and it is a very dot-obsessed way of looking at the world, right? I need everything that I can for this dot, and if I don't have the money for it, I'll figure out a way to get it and pay it back later. If you've seen the old... Uh, Saturday Night Live sketch where the guy is advertising this book. Uh, it shows uh, this couple at the living room or the kitchen table like trying to budget, and they're like, this doesn't make sense. I can't make it add up. And this guy walks in and is like, maybe I can help. Here's my new book, this program to get you out of debt. And they're like, really? What is it? And he said, it's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And it's, it's one page long. It just If you don't have the money, you don't buy it, right? Obviously, this very tongue-in-cheek, like over-simplistic way of, uh, of, of cutting to the, the heart of it. Uh, but when it comes down to it, that's what we're doing, right? We go, I want this. There's a way for me to get it even though maybe it's not the best way, so I'll just go ahead and do it. And so we, we just can't wait. The fullest, greatest joy of a Christian is in the kingdom to come, when Jesus has returned and we are in his presence forever. And sometimes we're short-sighted and we start to think, that's an awfully long time to wait. I'd really rather pile up some goodies right now. And so I'll do it however I can. And... I think debt is also, our willingness to keep piling up debt is also an indication that we think we're going to find happiness in stuff. We think we're going to find happiness in treasures on earth, which are fleeting and insignificant compared with the glory of God in which we'll get to share. The treasures of the kingdom of heaven are much bigger and deeper and brighter and more beautiful than you can imagine. Way better than a big screen TV or an awesome vacation or a house on the beach or whatever it is that you feel like, I've got to have this thing. It's way better than that. And we think, I'm going to get happier by getting more stuff, which is just proven over and over to be demonstrably false. There are 
some of the wealthiest people in the world throughout history have expressed things like this, like it just, there's never enough, right? It doesn't make you happy. C.S. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Life stuck in the dot is a perspective that sees the stuff that we acquire for ourselves here as it's going to make me happy, it's going to last, it really matters. And Jesus says, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't last. It's going away. How are you looking at this? How is your eyesight? Get your eye on the right kingdom. Stinginess, debt, discontentment is another way that we can maybe see that we're stuck in the dot. If you find yourself just unsettled, unfulfilled, just plain unhappy, Like that kind of characterizes your life. It might be because you're expecting too much from this life. Again, this isn't the rest that God's promised us. This isn't the the reward and the joy and the fulfillment that God has told us about. It's coming. It's in a kingdom that's to come. But sometimes we try to establish for ourselves a paradise on earth. And it's not working, right? I'm getting all the stuff. I'm doing everything that all the books told me to do. Right? I saw the movie about how the guy got everything he ever wanted and lived happily ever after. I'm trying all that, and it's not working. Why? Because this isn't paradise. You can't make it paradise. You can't fill your dot life with so much stuff and pleasure and entertainment that this becomes paradise. It's just not. For the follower of Jesus Christ, for citizens in his kingdom, there is a greater, deeper, brighter, more glorious joy and reward than we can even fathom on the other side of that dot when we get to the line. This world isn't your home. God created you and Jesus saved you to invite you to the line, not to the dot. So if you find yourself just unhappy, discontented with your life. It might be because you're expecting too much from this life. Maybe you're stuck in the dot. I think there are all kinds of other ways that things that might indicate to us that we're dot-obsessed, dot-bound, if you will. That's enough for now. So it's, it's worth taking stock, looking at your own heart and life, Where do you find yourself today? Are you living for the line of eternity and its rewards, or are you stuck in the dot? Are you investing your time, money, and talents for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of self? Are you running for the right end zone? Maybe even as an exercise this week, you could sit down with a pen and paper and actually write down What are my values? What are the things that I would say? If somebody asked me what's most important to me, this is the stuff I'd say. And then match that or compare that to your actual patterns of giving and spending and your scheduling and your relationships. Take a look. Are my values really in line with how I'm living? 
What kingdom causes are you investing in and how? What motivates your giving and spending patterns? Is your life characterized by generosity or by stinginess and greed? Which kingdom do you think Jesus lived for when he was on the earth? How was his eyesight? Do you think he had this dot and line perspective and had his eye on the right kingdom? In Ephesians chapter 5, as the Apostle Paul is, is instructing husbands how they should relate to their wives and love their wives, he says this uh, of Christ as the example. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The Son of God took on human flesh and gave up his life to rescue for himself a bride, a people for his own possession, an eternal inheritance. He had his eyes on the eternal kingdom where those he saved by the shedding of his blood would live with him forever and share in his glorious reign. That's how Jesus lived. He invested himself all the way for the reward of a people and the glory of his father that would come after the dot was over. And because Jesus died to sanctify the church, that is to to make her holy, to cleanse her and to present her holy and without blemish, there's hope for us even in the midst of our twisted, kingdom-distorting, dot-obsessed views, we, where we've been greedy and discontent, he can cleanse us and make us new. He can give us new eyesight. If you'll ask him to, he'll take your upside-down, inside-out perspective on treasures and flip them right side up, freeing you to generously unleash your resources for his glory and for your eternal reward. Let's get our eye on the right end zone. Let me pray for us.